Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined always with by my dad, Jack. How are you doing today, Dad? Doing great. Happy yep. Monday to you. February 8th already. Yep, Here it's is rushing by. Hey, yeah. shout out to uh, my niece uh, from my wife's side of the family. Nora is 18 years old today. Happy birthday, Nora. So, oh, that's terrific. Glad to hear that. The big one eight. Yeah, yeah. She's oh. t- doing her senior year uh, via remote, you know, as, as are many kids. It's been a strange year. You know, and and kids involved in things like band and and uh, and yeah. stage and cheer and sports, all of them are sitting at home. Or if they're getting to do sports, they're doing them. You know, they're doing practices, but there's not really any competitions. At least that's the case here in California. I can't speak for the rest of the country. In California, <laughs> there haven't been any competitions, no high school football games or anything. There's been a few teams that have done uh, some some intra squad things or. Um, uh, and I think there was like one or two uh, coaches that got reprimanded for setting up like a scrimmage with another team that wasn't a sanctioned scrimmage, but they essentially just kind of gave them a slap on the wrist. There wasn't anything too too big deal about it because it's like, well, can you blame them? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. the situation situation here in North Carolina sounds like, uh, at least from the Sunday show, we have a good state show that sort of covers all mm-hmm. the major topics here. On the education front, they said that uh, there's such a clamor for getting kids back into school that uh, if uh, if there's a private school that has a vacancy, they'd be surprised. And in fact, there's some startups just because they're all upset with public education, and uh, yeah. they're going to pay a price for this because it's just yeah. you know once once you get kids going to the private school, it's uh, you're not going to change most likely. Yeah, tough to get them back. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's interesting here because uh, there was a study done in one of the school districts here in the Inland Empire area where I live, and 76% of the families who responded said they don't want their kids back in a classroom environment right now. And yet the state is, is keeps pushing forward, and the uh, uh, midweek on Wednesday, the CDC is supposed to release uh, the report that they based their, their the CDC's uh, head based made a statement last week saying that that you should that it's everybody should start back to school whether or not the teachers have vaccines and of course the teachers unions are all upset as are many of the teachers going well wait a minute i'm not (laughs) expendable you know why are you putting why are you doing this to us and so you know it's going to be an interesting push and shove because you're right uh you know i i coach for a private school and the they have been going to school uh since the fall um And, and relatively safely. I mean, yeah. the thing is, the, I'll tell you this, though, that if there was, you know, there, there's been a few emails where somebody, hey, somebody was sent home, they weren't well, everybody who was, you know, had contact with them has been asked to to take classes from home for, for you know, a week until we see, see if they have any symptoms and to get tested, that kind of thing. Um, but the cynic in me says, because they have a vested interest in being open, if a teacher fell ill, I don't know that they would make that public knowledge. Yeah. You know? Could be. I just be. don't know don't that know. they would. I just don't know that they would. Um, you know? And I mean, I'm not accusing them of, of, of lying. And, and I think that they would, you know, they would behave responsibly and let people know who, you know, those who had contact or had been in that teacher's classroom would probably get told that somebody in the classroom has yeah. tested positive and And, but they, I don't know that they would, you know, out the teacher. And, and that's the other thing is, you know, 
do they have a right or do they have a responsibility to point out if like a teacher tests positive, you know, or do they just say a person in, in the room, you know, I mean, it's, it, there's, there's certain rights and there's some very strict laws about people's health information and yep. identifying a specific person because, you know, there are people who will go, well, you know, I don't know if they're well yet. I don't want to get around them and they will treat them differently because they know that that's the person who, you know, or if you then come down with it, are they then going to come after you and blame you because you happen to be the person who got sick first? You know, huh. even if you, you know, there's just all kinds of social issues well, there, you know, there, there will be teachers that will get the virus. The question is, do they get them at school? You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's just, yeah. You know. Well, and there will be, I mean, there will be students who get the virus with the yeah. same question. You know, they say, you know, that it's less likely to attack the young. Well, the current primary versions of the virus don't attack the young as much, but there are, you know, still uh, young people who, who die from it and, and healthy people who die from it, you know, yeah. under 40 adults and, and children. And, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's and this this more um, catchy version of it that they, that came from uh, the U.K. that is spreading at least in California, they're, they've now had over 600 cases that they've identified as this new strain of the virus. So it's, mm. it's you know, you know that's going to continue. Um, yeah. That one seems to affect younger people more than the previous versions did. So uh, okay. L.A. County, I don't know, three or four weeks ago came out and said that that uh, the the sickness is trending younger in, in, in yeah. the last couple weeks. And so, and of course, they said it once, and now they haven't repeated that because that doesn't fit with the talking points that the government wants to make. So, you know, yeah, not that, that I'm paranoid or anything. Yeah. That, so, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's still a political issue regardless. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of, of, uh, political and social issues going on there. So let's talk something tech. I've actually got a tech story here, among others, but I've got one that I wanted to bring up. You know, I have been a fan of the Raspberry Pi $30 computers for quite a while. I th- I've, I've had a couple different versions of them, and I have one of the current versions, the the Raspberry Pi uh, 4 uh, Model B. And uh, they're pretty cool little computers. You know, they run on an ARM chip. Uh, they've got Wi-Fi built in. They've got... Uh, USB-C power. They've got, in fact, the newest ones have two HDMI's out, so you can drive two um, uh, 4K screens uh, off of this little board that's the size of a deck of cards. And there are at least three companies uh, that are actively supporting them, sales and and support. Oh, yeah. And they they have different models of of them. I mean, that's just a chip, so they're packaging them in this really keen way. Well, like, the ARM is a chip, and that's why I mentioned that I had the Raspberry Pi 4 Model B, which is yeah. their standard $35. Well, they have a $35, uh, $45, $55, and $65 version, depending on if you want um, how much memory you want. You can get yeah, a 2-gig, 4-gig, 6-gig, or 8-gig memory on the board. Yeah, but but they come in lots of uh, versions with... Uh, uh, as much a complete computer basically a keyboard included and you all you have to do is plug in a monitor or TV, use your tv set uh so that uh that for people who don't care about the hardware side of it you know they just want to play around with the software or something right 
Uh, they well, can those do... are those are packages put together by a variety of different people. The Raspberry Pi Foundation uh, right. has designed the the uh, the Model B board, which is a standardized board, like I said, about the size of a, a deck of cards. They have the Raspberry Pi Zero, which is a little bit bigger than a postage stamp and is designed for embedded stuff, but it runs the exact same chip. Um, and and there's uh, one that sits in between those two. And what you give up when you go to to one of those others is uh, IO ports, basically. You give up, like, uh, you know, they may be wireless only and not not have an Ethernet connector, and you may give up USB inputs and things like that. And the, the thing they all have is pinouts off the board so that you can then use them. Uh, you can you can hook them up to, to cameras or to uh, triggers. A lot of people use them as, um, as the brains to, for controlling in, in robotics. And, uh, you know, and home hobbyists that want to do robotics. So there's just all kinds of cool things you can do with them. But yeah, the thing that yeah. I wanted to talk about was the fact that um, that the most recent version of the operating system, the Raspberry Pi OS, which has formerly been called Raspbian because uh, it's based on the uh, Debian Linux. Uh, the latest update, uh, this is from Hot Hardware Reports. The latest update to the operating system includes a Microsoft repository by default, the change is due to the foundation adding official endorsement for Microsoft's Visual Studio Code Editor, but it's causing an outrage amongst some of the uh, users because what it does is every time you get an OS update, it pings the Microsoft server. And so now it they're saying that it's allowing Microsoft to track who has Ras- Raspberry Pi computers. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Track, tracking if, you know, is a no-no. Yeah, one Reddit user it was explaining that if you've logged into a Microsoft service, use Bing or pull something from GitHub, because Microsoft now owns GitHub, they can identify you as a Raspbian Pi OS or uh, and likely Ras- Raspberry Pi owner uh, and influence ads and other things. And so, uh, uh, so the official Raspberry Pi forums, apparently it's a fairly hot topic, uh, and... Uh, you know, but according to uh, Gordon Hollingsworth, who's the Raspberry Pi Director of Software Engineering, uh, he says, "Thank you, everyone, for your feedback. This won't be changing because it makes it makes the first experience for people who do want to use uh, codes such as uh, Visual or VS Code, the Visual Scripting Code, easier." So, so the people at the Raspberry Pi Foundation have decided that they're willing to give up your anonymity in order to make things easier for first-time users. Um, his response was oh. not well-received, apparently. One of the one of the comments was, Sorry, I can't understand why you think this was a controversial thing to do. We do things of this sort all the time without putting out a blog post uh, about how to opt out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well... You know that's that's just part of the uh, business of growing up and seeing where th- how things evolve, and it, it'll all depends on how people feel yeah. about things. Of course, Raspberry Pi is probably the guys are feeling honored that Microsoft even knows about them. You know? Oh, I, I don't but, think they're feeling honored. I think that they're playing with a Raspberry Pi because they don't like Microsoft, and and they're in the Linux world because they don't want to be around Microsoft in the first place. <laughs> these, these are these are hobbyists who are going out of their way to avoid dealing with Microsoft or Apple or any of the big companies. What, well, you're talking about the hobbyists. I'm talking about the people who own the Raspberry Pi company. They may see some yeah. opportunities 
coming as a result of the connection. Yeah. Well, the Raspberry Pi Foundation is the one that owns the the design rights and stuff, and I think that that is a community uh, supported program. I, I don't think they're a standing company, but I'm okay. It's actually I'm taking about okay. So the Raspberry Foundation it's a UK based charity, so it is a is it is a charitable foundation based in the UK, and uh, their goal is to put computing and digital making. Uh, digital making into the hands of people all over the world that's their right on their their website okay uh, yeah so uh it's a registered charity in england and wales registered company limited by guarantee in england and wales uh it is at uh, the pie foundation 37 hills road cambridge so mm-hmm. um and it, uh was that designed by a brit so well, you know, ARM was a was a, a Brits thing. So yes, I guess the Raspberry Pi is 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 a UK based company, and was the the designs are basically licensed out of there to people who then build the the boards. And like you said, there's there's you know three or four different companies that build the boards, and lots of people who then uh, buy the boards wholesale and package them into different ways of of you know, putting them into kits and stuff. And I kind of understand. I mean, a lot of their idea is to create really affordable computers so that people who, who might not have the funds to go, uh, you know, buy a PC or a laptop can go buy one of these things and start learning about computers and learning about programming. And sure. that's all built into their operating system. And that's... so if they if they feel that this makes the, the onboarding easier for somebody who's new, then they're going to take that move, whether the hobbyists like it or not. Well, and, and there's always been a market for the low-end hobbyist. That's how all of the uh, Intel stuff really got going. Uh, if you go back in history, you know, the, those first chips out uh, were, uh, there was a whole bunch of different chips and a lot of uh, things to play with, if you will. And they, were, and they weren't nearly expensive as they are today. You know, once they, they got to where there was big demand, then and the uh, other manufacturers. No, if you think back, like you're like the the Coco computer and and the the uh, Commodore sixty four, those were all two hundred dollar computers minimum. So it was at least a two hundred dollar buy in, and that was assuming that you had a screen you could use to plug it into. Now they both were the, integrated with the keyboard, but then you also had no means of backing anything up. So when you t- shut your computer off, you lost everything, unless you then bought some sort of interface to a cassette tape or a disk drive so well, but i mean let's, they let's, let's let's do an apples to apples comparison that, that those weren't the board computers like you're talking about that's that's why they were two hundred dollars because you were buying a system right you know and the same thing's going to happen to raspberry pi if you get the ones with built into the keyboard and other more stuff with them you know io ports and whatever pretty soon you're up above a hundred dollars you know so it doesn't take yeah. very much to get there yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's it's but that was sort of the point was, is that, you know, here's thirty five bucks and and, you know, you can get a basic working computer and all you need is uh, a um, uh, a USB power source and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, keyboard, a mouse and a monitor that you can pick up from any old computer. You could probably get them, you know, libraries throwing old ones away because, I mean, you could use the old tube monitors. It doesn't really matter. Although yeah. I say that um, HDMI is their is their primary output now, so um, so you know 
probably an old television set or just use a TV set inside somebody's house. Yeah. So. But but I'll, what I was referring to, Todd, is when you go way back, the uh, the eighty eighty uh, hobby computer was the first one that I remember being out. And and when it first started, you know, you could just buy the eighty eighty chip, or you could buy the eighty eighty chip on a board with some I/O ports. And so it was the same kind of deal, and those were fairly inexpensive. You didn't mm-hmm. have to go into a, a company and, and buy a you know a big frame with a power supply and all this other stuff. You know, you could just do it on your. It just depend what level you want to work at. Yeah, and, but I mean, the, you know, these the, they're not just selling you an ARM chip here either. I mean, that's 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 not a that's not you know something you can plug in and actually use. Yeah. And in even the eighty eighty on a on a board didn't have any didn't have any you know graphics drivers or anything that was it was a much less complete like this is really a system on a board yeah that one wasn't you know well you had a cpu and maybe a little bit of io that's true things are more capable today though i mean that's just yeah the way it goes you can put you can put the whole i guess what i'm saying is i don't think you can do you wanted to do an apples to apples comparison i don't think you can no not really because of you the know. integration on the chip, you know, it's just like yeah. the M1, the whole system. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, it's just there's there's so much there, and in fact, it's funny because when you if you look at a a, 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 a Raspberry Pi um, board, it is, uh, and I'm, I'm sending you a link to the article that I had here because um, it's got a good picture of the board on it. If you look at the board, um, the ARM chip sort of sits in the middle of the board. And the USB ports are larger than the CPU. <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know the box that can the 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 shielding around the outside of the USB ports uh, yeah. are are big silver boxes on one side of the board, and they are substantially more massive than the CPU that that basically runs the whole thing. You well, know, and if you you look, that's, that's, you know, at go ahead. That's always true. The mechanical. Uh, yeah. connections and whatever require space whereas the chips just yeah. keep getting smaller and have more on them you know yeah yeah these days that's probably not that uncommon in fact you look at most pcs inside of your laptops and stuff you'd be shocked at how small the the actual working parts are so yeah. so anyway uh that that's kind of cool now you said the 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 main thing uh, is today that uh, y- y- there's some something come out to do with this association that uh, allows some loss of privacy is what you're talking about is the big the well big that's the complaint impact. is is that wh- why should we p- be pinging Microsoft and telling them that hey here's another uh, Raspberry Pi user pinging in you know and here's yeah. my Iowa here's my IP addresses you know. I mean, yeah. and, and I can understand from the user's point, it's like, you know, I, every time I update my operating system, I don't want, need to let Microsoft know that. And so why are we letting them know that? But apparently that's now part of the default and they're pretty strongly saying deal with it. Um, yeah. that, you know, the flip side of that is, is that Raspbian is the default and largely the most used operating system on the Raspberry Pi platform. It's not the only yeah. OS that you, you can load in multiple other OSs. There's several of them out there. And uh-huh. so, you know, if you choose, if, if you don't think that their OS is, you know, right for you because you don't like their affiliation with Microsoft, then load up a different OS. Yep. 
So, oh well, their company wasn't obviously committed to uh, the privacy as the uh, Apple guys seem to yeah, be. Yeah, huh? well, it sounds like, first of all, I think it sounds like <laughs> they think this is much ado about nothing. And secondly, uh, their goal is not so much privacy as it is, uh, you know, the p- getting more and more technology into the hands of those who have few funds and making yeah. it as easy as possible. Yeah, so. I, I didn't I didn't know that uh, at least o- openly I hadn't heard that Microsoft was into that business of gathering data on people. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I would I would bet and, and I hadn't either. I mean, they're certainly not one of the ones that people bring up when you think about that because they don't make their uh, most it's of their income from sell, sale of information about their users, right? Unlike Google and Facebook. Uh, yeah. I would be, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to find out that they're gathering all that data. Um, you know, whether or not they go through the gymnastics that somebody like Apple goes through to, to get the basic information without getting anything specific about anybody. Uh, I don't know. You know, I just don't know anything about, uh, Microsoft's data policy. So again, it might not be a big deal. I mean, by the time it gets to somebody at Microsoft who could actually do something with it, it, there might be several layers of intentional obfuscation to say, look, I can't track who you are, but I can say, hey, there are X amount of people in this area who seem to be using a lot of Raspberry Pis and that maybe we should, you know, concentrate some efforts um, for people in that area or something. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know how they would use the data. Right. So, yeah, hard to say. Although they do have a, um, a you know, Bing, which is a competitor to Google. Yeah. And I, I assume that Bing probably makes money by selling ads and search positions, right? Very you know, well could. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if, if you want a better search placement, you pay them up and ads get placed on Bing pages. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't doesn't the uh what's that substitute that comes up in Apple products? Uh forgot. Oh uh, duck duck search. go. Yeah, they 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 use Bing, I heard, right? Yes. Yahoo, Microsoft, and well obviously Microsoft's Bing. Uh and DuckDuckDuckGo all use the underlying Bing engine as their search engine. Yeah. So And you can anyway. license the Google engine, but if you do then you have to, you're required to embed code that allows Google to track the searches, and so nobody who's talking about you know not tracking you can do that. I just thought just occurred to me as you know using DuckDuckGo, I I haven't heard of whether anybody's looking in to see who they're tracking. <laughs> I mean, you know what makes them any better than the rest? Yeah, they say right on their homepage that they don't track, that they yeah, they sell ads, but the ads are are gene- generic. So we're trusting them. To, I don't know if they. Um, uh, that usually invites somebody to come take a look, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think that that some investigative re, uh, uh, investigative reporter would have uh, um, would have uh, you know found that right by now. Yeah, yeah check it out. That's so, that's the job job of reporters, but I don't know if yeah. they always uh, catch all of if it. If you go to know? If you go to DuckDuckGo.com, their very first, right on the page, in it, they have the name of the website with their goofy little duck logo. They have the, the search bar that you can type in and, and search. And underneath it, it says, tired of being tracked online? We can help. We don't store your personal info. We don't follow you around with ads. We don't track you ever. 
Hmm. But it didn't say they didn't transfer it on to their buddies who do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's always ways around what you, the words you say. You gotta gotta analyze those like a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, they have again. a free downloadable privacy browser extension. Uh, mm -hmm. Browse as usual. We'll take care of the rest. They uh, you can download it, and install it, uh, and get bundled private search, tracker blocking, site encryption, all in one download from major browsers. They have a private search engine with our app or extension. Add private web search to your favorite browser or search directly at duckduckdo.com. And then they have their own um, browser app that you can download on iOS and Android. So if you don't want to use Safari, you can use theirs, and it'll then guarantee that it's that that nobody's uh, putting speaking in cookies of, and stuff to follow yeah, you around. Yeah, speaking of data harvesting, I think it was the last show or maybe the one before that I talked about a 60 Minutes show regarding uh, uh, the uh, uh, data gathering on uh, uh, the spittle that you send off to get your DNA done. Oh, the, right, right, yeah. And a couple companies were involved. Well, today I just got a Consumer Reports and they have a much more in-depth thing than they had on 60 Minutes on both of those same companies. <laughs> Ancestry yeah, the two and, big ones, uh, Ancestry.com and 23andMe. Yeah. So anyway, everybody's getting in the game of talking about privacy. And uh, mm -hmm. so anyway, I got a lot more out of the article than I did off the show. Yeah. I think that's going to become more and more an issue in all of technology as we're moving forward. I think uh, Apple is sort of at the the front guard of this right now. But uh, you know that it's it's that enough people are talking about it, and 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 th that the general population is now sort of slowly becoming aware of the fact that it's like, hey, this sounds an awful lot like all of those dystopian future sci-fi things where things don't go so well, and maybe yeah. we should <laughs> maybe we should put the brakes on this a little bit, or at least put some constraints on some of these companies uh, that seem to know more about us than than mm -hmm. they should. You know. But, um, by the I, way, a little bit further on DuckDuckGo's page, it does say that our privacy policy, our privacy policy is simple: we don't collect or share any of your personal information. Or share, okay, that's good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, First yay, DuckDuckGo. No, and it didn't. It's funny because yeah, I had to scroll down uh, to like the second or two and a half pages worth of of stuff that talks about all their other stuff before you get to the. Where they they just say, "Here's our privacy policy." It's one sentence, you know. Wow. It's like okay, yeah. and then they've got a big Q and A or uh, you know FAQ section down here. Uh, they and the question was the first question: How does DuckDuckGo make money? We make our money from private ads on our search engine. On other search engines, ads are based on profiles compiled about you using your personal information. Since we don't collect that information, search ads on DuckDuckGo are based on the search results page you are viewing and not on you as a person. For example, if you search for cars, we'll show you ads about cars. Uh, if somebody wants to advertise to people looking at cars, they buy ads for that page. It's not ads based on your profile. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Which is the way I, Google started out. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of complete my little story about the, uh, uh, the uh, ancestry and, and other people. Oh, right. What, what, what mm -hmm. the... Uh, the uh, Consumer Reports guys did that I thought was much better than a TV show was that they they delved into uh, uh, everything that those 
companies do and talked about, you know, the information that they provided you and the problems associated with that, that data that you're getting back from those companies is that uh, it's, it's very often wrong and misleading. And he gave the reasons why. They had doctors and, and, and experts on these different areas that, that had segments in their, in their story so that, you know, what you think you're getting uh, isn't really uh, believable uh, when it really comes down to it because of the lack of their, the types of tests they're doing. If you really want to, to know a lot of that other stuff, you've got to have something other than the spit-in-the-tube kind of test. So uh, there, 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 there's limitations, and they're misleading you by thinking that you're, you know, you've got more, you know, uh, really g good and valuable data. It's just the fact that there's not that much stuff that you would most people would use that ancestry data for other than just to satisfy their curiosity and saying, oh, look, I'm from Germany mm -hmm. or England or wherever, most, most of my ancestors. Uh, that uh, is pretty general stuff, and that should be considered all at that level, you know. Don't, don't get into the details because it's, you know, especially 23andMe, it seemed provided a lot more detail and data, and it, they really jumped on them. 23andMe so. has the option of, you, when you buy it, you can buy the $99 kit, which gives you uh, ancestral connections and, you know, what your genetic makeup is in terms of, like, different locations around the planet. You know, it's like, oh, you've got family from, you know, Eastern Europe and from, you know, and, and you carry a gene that's, you know, carried by Japanese or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. Then they have for another $99, so for like 198 or something like that, unless you get it on sale, you can also order um, the uh, additional evaluations. And these are just evaluations. They're reports based on the same genetic information. Um, and it that will talk about, you know, if you have any of the um, genetic markers that they have tied back to specific genes that cause specific health issues. And so they will talk, uh, and, and in those reports, they're very careful, and it's worded very carefully to say, you know, this doesn't mean you're going to get it. This doesn't mean that you won't get it. It just means that you have the genetic markers, and that means that, you know, you, you're more likely than somebody who doesn't have those genetic markers, and that if you ever see, think you have any of those symptoms, talk to your doctor. Yeah. Well, well, in the view of the re reviewers uh, at Consumer Report, mm -hmm. uh, that, that that was junk, trash data. You know, I mean, they've really downplayed uh -huh. it. They said that's, and and some of it that they thought could be, uh, people might act on it regardless of how many times they tell them that, uh, yeah, you know, not to. So, well, you know, I think I I my sense is, and I, I will respectfully disagree with the author, is that the data is not junk data. The the uh, what that actually means is often misconstrued. People hear something and they make an assumption about what the meaning is that they heard without really understanding the science. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that you can do with 23andMe, and I don't know if you can do this with Ancestry, but with 23andMe, you can actually download a text file and it in the text file is your your complete genetic information. And in that text file, it has uh, what the 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 gene code is for every all of the genes in your in your test sample. And so you can go through it and, and, and read for it. And in fact, um, uh, they, 
there was some studies with COVID showing that there was nine different markers that if you had one of these genetic markers, COVID, you had a higher chance of COVID um, uh, being uh, severe. And they found some genetic issues where they could say that if you have one of these nine markers or multiple of these nine markers, then the likelihood of you having a severe case of COVID is higher than the case that you didn't have. And they actually posted what those markers were, what the patterns were. If you, you know, it wasn't in the article, you had to go to the link at the bottom that said it was based on this abstract for the study, but then you could get those nine markers. Now, I have the text file of my genetic code, and I was able to then go and use that and search through it and, and found that I don't have those genetic markers. But mind you, this is, is you know, my genetic uh, code is not, it's not like it's a, it's a sheet of paper. This is a text file that's thousands and thousands of lines long. Um, you know, and but there there is, you know, there's perfectly good science that says that, you know, if if, if you have certain genetic markers, that that tends to mean that you have the, the the chance to get something. But what people well, don't understand is, is whether or not that gene is expressed is a whole nother thing. And 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 so just because you have a genetic marker doesn't mean you're going to get or have a specific, you know, issue. No, no, no. Wait a minute. You said one thing that really caught my attention. This is perfectly good science. That exact statement almost is one one of the things that the uh, Consumer Reports guys took to task because they said that that's basically BS. We don't know what most of that stuff really means, but it's just, it's it's good only in the sense that it's what you can do when you do data harvesting. Okay. And you can do, uh, you know, just about anybody can do that. There's a lot of uh, information on how to, numerical data can be uh, looked at in different ways. And uh, they really questioned a lot of the, the theory behind that. And it's theory because there's, there's not very much validation data on most of it, okay, associated with these things. This is a new kind of thing within the last five years, and it's just not mature at all. Okay. So to call anything like that, uh, uh, you know, perfectly good science, perfectly good science is really not 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 proper. Okay. well, that goes to what I was talking about. So they have found genetic markers that cause or or that that are related to certain issues. Mm -hmm. And that science is solid. There's literally nothing. I mean, this and that A and B. What they haven't found is. How come sometimes people have it and don't get it and sometimes they have it and do get it? But what they found is that everybody who gets it has it mm -hmm. in certain cases. And so that's all I'm saying is, yeah, they don't understand why sometimes certain genes are expressed and they're not expressed in others. And, and that's the issue. And they're still learning about some of these genes that a lot of times, um, you know, hi historically, as we started getting into the understanding of genetic makeup, that, that they, people would call it... Uh, uh, junk because it doesn't this this whole chunk of genetic code doesn't seem to do anything and as we're studying and learning more we're finding out that it's not junk that a lot of what it does is has to do with how other genes that that control certain aspects of of you know how things are expressed in your body that's the triggers those are some things that that cause that to express and you're right we don't fully understand that we really don't understand what causes it to be triggered but the 23andMe doesn't try to pretend that it's telling you that it causes it to be triggered. All they're doing is saying that we, you know, they're 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 announcing or, or they'll give you information if you've paid for it about this particular set of genetic code 
is something that always happens when people have this particular disease. Doesn't mean that yep. you will have this disease. It just means that you have the chance of having that disease because you have this particular set of code. Now, we don't know what triggers that code to become active to cause that disease, but you do mm -hmm. have it. So be aware that if you have symptoms, you know, that it could be that. And that's all they're saying. And yeah. I think that is pretty settled and understood science. What is not understood is why do why does it sometimes activate in some people and not in other people? Yep. I think we've kind of boiled it down now, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I think we're in agreement, right? Yep. In the, uh, in the, yeah, it's like, and that, and that, you know, I mean, it, that'll take time, but I think we'll figure that out as we go through it. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, it's not like it's, it's a page of code. It's, it's, you know, it, it DNA is a, an immensely huge database of information, <laughs> you know, right. it's, uh, it, it yep. is it is uh, outstanding. It, it, By the way, I found I found a link talking about Linux um, or about uh, uh, Raspbian. Um, I found a link. There's uh, showing just twenty, and there's more than that. But the twenty best operating systems you can run on your Raspberry Pi. And so, uh, for those who don't want to run Raspbian because they're afraid that Microsoft might be tracking them because they're doing something horrible and nefarious that Microsoft would you know just be shocked at. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and I have no idea. Like I said, I don't know what on earth it is that they're worried that Microsoft's going to find out that, you know, because it's a ping. It's not like, yeah. you know, you're downloading all of your data onto Microsoft servers or something. It's a ping. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but there's, I mean, there's a list of 20 here, and, and, and this is the 20 best. So there's probably even more if you wanted to use um, uh, a lot of, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, a Rasp BSD that's based on FreeBSD, which is the Berkeley. Um, uh, software distribution, um, and it's based on Unix. It's not Linux, and so the, and, and in fact, FreeDSB is what Mac is based on as your under, underlying system. As is uh, PlayStation 4s run uh, a version of FreeBSD underneath. So uh, you know that's interesting. Um, there's one called um, I thought this one was interesting too. Risk OS. It's a unique open source OS designed specifically for ARM processors by the creators of the original ARM CPU. It's neither Linux or Windows related, and it's maintained by a dedicated community of volunteers. So it's open source, and it's not related to, to Linux yep. or Windows, which means it has no relationship to Mac either, because Mac is based on a Unix BSD, or the free BSD yeah. as we just talked about. Um, yeah. And I'm actually tempted to download that one just to look at it. I'm curious. Yeah. You know, it's not often you hear about, I mean, almost everything today is either some sort of Linux distro or it's Windows based, right? Or, or at least has a Unix underpinning to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, so I'm just uh, curious about uh, this, this risk OS. It doesn't surprise me. There's always several, uh, people that are involved in something as popular as a Raspberry. So mm -hmm. get, get what version suits you. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's—I guess—that's the point I was just trying to make. Is like, yeah, if you're—you don't like—you're—you're you're worried about, you know, the uh, the Raspbian people and and them getting too cozy with Microsoft. Uh, pick one of the other ones. There's plenty to pick from, and they probably all have different varying amounts of support and uh, uh, and uh, you know functionality in in terms of what they do. In fact, a couple of them look like they were specifically designed for creating um, a a media server. So, you know, you would launch it and they would have some standard OS stuff, but that a lot of what they were built around was setting up your, your, um, 
Raspberry Pi as the front end to a really big database or a big um, uh, hard drive full of music or videos that you could then stream. So, yeah, I, I'm sitting know. here thinking the average American today, when they're trying to evaluate what what I want to do, they don't even think about the privacy aspect of it. They're homed in on the kinds of capability that they really want. Yeah. What can it do and, and what does it cost? Right. <laughs> yeah. That, no, you're that's right. What, that's what their focus is. Well, so, I mean, that's everybody and, who runs a, a, a Windows computer or a um, uh, uh, an Android phone and everybody who uses Facebook or uses Google for their searches says, yep. you know, and, I, I and, understand. And, <laughs> they probably they don't even have, And they all have their strengths and weaknesses, which is kind of leading mm -hmm. me to ta start talking about the M1 that you sent me a little article on earlier in the week. Yeah. The uh, benchmarks by Intel. Yeah, so Intel has punched back, right? Every, every, you know, Apple released their M1 Max and to much acclaim, and wow, these are faster than anything we've ever seen before. And Intel says, "Well, wait a minute." <laughs> now, I've read several articles that said that that app, or that in fact, they they titled it, uh, you know, Intel cherry picks benchmarks to compare themselves with the M1. <laughs> well, well, of course. Of course they do. Of yeah. course they do. You don't think yep. that Apple cherry-picked benchmarks to make the M1 look better? I mean... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Here's yeah. what I would say, though, is that beyond the benchmarks, people who have the M1 chip in hand have been out doing real-world things with them and coming back and giving reports. Like um, I, I've mentioned before that uh, the developer for the um, uh, Overcast, the, the uh, podcast player that I use on my phone is uh, Marco Armit. And he said he has a uh, an iMac Pro, or he had, he's since sold it, but he had an iMac Pro with the top-of-the-line CPU in it. And it took him... Intel it, it took him like, yeah, Intel CPU, top-of-the-line Intel CPU. And it was, you know, it's not their core line either. The, the, the Pro has the, um, uh, what does Intel call their, their higher-end... Uh, I forgot A7 or something like that. No, no, no. It's not even a, 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 a the numbered chips. It's like a they're like a, a, I, what are they? Iter iridiums or, or something like that. That's not the right name. Um, anyway, so anyway, he said when he ran when he compiled his uh, his app, he said and there's he says there's a little over a million lines of code in it, and he says when I compiled it, it took like a minute and fifteen minute and ten seconds for the thing to compile on. This seven thousand dollar top of the line. It's not the Mac Pro, but it was the iMac Pro. He said, "I took my exact same code on a MacBook Air with an M1 chip in it, and it took fifteen seconds." Mm -hmm. He says, "That's all I needed to know." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he says, "He says right. you know, now if you wanted to do something that was really graphics intensive, he says, yeah, you're probably better off sticking with an Intel thing right now." Well, uh, well, here, here's the but deal. But not necessarily. It, 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 in the simplest form, of course, any two devices that can do the same thing are going to do them at a different rate because they do them in a slightly different manner, and you're going to expect differences. Now, uh, the a lot of those differences could can be ironed out in time because they're software-related. 
you know, mm-hmm. and especially when the, the one when they came to games, and I said, ah, oh, yeah, games, okay. I, that's where all the optimization comes, where people get down and code in assembly and do really tricky right. things. And it just yeah, except not, that I don't think anybody does assembly for that stuff anymore. But you're right, it's games, but, you know. But, but if you don't play games at all, who cares, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. And furthermore, yeah. uh, if Apple comes out with their game machine, it's going to be optimized for games. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. That well, and so- the other thing is, is anybody who's ever been in gaming knows, you know, a lot of the games were never even ever, even compiled to run on Mac OS anyway. So even if Mac had a better game, gaming machine, it didn't matter because none of the games that you wanted to play were there, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, unless Apple takes st- steps like they have with their um, their subscription game service where you can just download games for free or, you know, prepaid, you've paid your, your five bucks a month or whatever, uh, or, or it's part of your package deal, um, you know, those games are going to run wonderfully on M1 chips. But, yeah. uh, uh, but you know, if, if they don't, if the game you play, if you play Call of Duty on your Xbox, it'll run on Windows, it'll run on Xbox. It's not going to run on a Mac. Never has. Much less right. whether it's a Mac M1 or a, an Intel Mac. It didn't matter. didn't run there. Yeah. Now, it didn't mean that you couldn't boot your Intel Mac into a Windows OS, which you could, and then run it, but yep. Apple didn't go out of their way to optimize anything for running those kind of games because that's not the intended use of their computer. By the way, it, uh, Xeon was the chip I was trying to remember the name of. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. yeah. Right now in the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro, there's Intel Xeon W chips, and the Xeons are, instead of going like i7 and i9, they have W or you know X, or the, they have letters behind them to tell you which generation of chip it is. And right now, yeah. it's the Intel Xeon W chip is what's running in the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro. And so this yeah. is better than your average chip in your average Mac from the Intel side and still got beat by ridiculous amounts in terms of speed of compiling code. You know? By the way, I, I thought about this M1 thing being a system, the first significant uh, system on a chip, I mean, really significant one, is that... It's going to change a lot of things. Number one, uh, Apple's going to they know absolutely that just like you upgrade software, uh, often because it's easier to do, uh, the M1 chip uh, will every year at least have a cycle. I don't know whether it'll be a year long or whatever it'll be, but they'll incorporate mm-hmm. new stuff in their M1 chip and call it version one, two, three, whatever. And yeah. so that everyone oh, just like knows, they have for their iPhones, absolutely. And everyone knows that every year when you you buy the latest model, you're going to get something that the previous guys didn't have a year ago. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it's going to be. And yeah. and so their hope is is that they'll start announcing that that this new machine will also is optimized for let's say uh, artificial intelligence in a significant way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and th- therefore, yeah. everybody they, they, will want. They, trade in their, they'll be inclined at least to trade in their machine because they're heavy on ai and if this is a biggie improvement man i got to spend another fifteen hundred dollars on a new machine you know yeah if they <laughs> if they can incentivize you to upgrade because they've made a significant stride in in the underlying technology they're certainly going to do that and in fact i'm sure they've been frustrated you know i mean part of the reason that they left the power pc and switched to intel was because power pc couldn't innovate and keep up with intel and right to this point now they're saying well shoot you know intel can't innovate and keep up with the arm chips that we're building ourselves 
we might as well just use our own chips. And absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, every year they're going to upgrade the core device CPU just like they they have for for iPhones and iPads, you know. Now, I had you do notice though that like iPhones, a new one comes out every year with a new chip in it. iPads, right. it's more like every other year or so. And I suspect we're going to find that the the uh Macs are going to be more like the iPads in that respect. In absolutely. that they won't each well, generation, so it may not be every year, maybe every other year, every third year, but every time they do something significant, you know, if they say, hey, you know, this is really a game changer in this CPU, okay, we'll push that out to all the Macs, too. Yeah, but, but that's what they'll do is they'll focus on something that sales can use to, to prompt you to want a new machine if you're up in that crowd. And, right. and the other, other reason that they don't get upgraded as often is there's far smaller part of the business. You know, they don't put a big dent yeah. in the income like iPhone does because yeah I've, well I've ironically worked. too I mean they're, they're not only a smaller part of the business but they're also a larger cash outlay so even if there was upgrades it's harder to get somebody to move on to another version when they have to outlay that much money right you know I mean the machines the computers basically start at the high end of what the phones cost and go up from there right Right. You know, and so when you're out late with, as an individual buying something, I'm less likely to go out and try to dig up, you know, two thousand or three thousand dollars every year for a new device as I am, you know, six hundred to eight hundred or a thousand depend on my phone. And right. and in fact, they've even found that as the phones have gotten into that price range, most people have, you know, don't get them. I mean, you and I are maybe, you know, I don't know, you've got a, an X, right? So yours is three or four generations back. Mine's an 11. Yeah. I mean, yours is a 10. You skipped the 10S and 11. Um, and we both skipped the 12. So, but, you know, I mean, I went from a 7 to to an 11, yeah. you know? So I skipped a few generations, too. People, even, even techie people go, I mean, unless you literally are somebody whose job it is to write and review and talk about that device... Most people are going, eh, I don't, you know, this new one's great, but what does it do that this one doesn't do? Yeah, it takes pictures in a little bit better low light. Okay. When you, you know. when you get, and when you get to my age, you say, am I ever going to need a new one of these in the rest of my life? <laughs> I don't know how yeah, long I mean, that was, <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and that's, that's part of the, the challenge for, for Apple and their marketing people, right? Is what can we do that's significant enough to move somebody off of that old device? You know, yep. and I think that they they figure they're going to get a certain percentage of people who are just fans. No matter what, they're going to buy the new one. But then right. they're also got a bunch. They got a, a certain number of people who are just going to say, you know, unless there's something just mind blowingly significant, why why move up? You know, and I know, you know they tried to get a lot of people signed up in that sort of subscription service where you could move up, you know, easily. But I mean, I look at it and it's like, I I have an 11 Pro. I don't see anything in the 12 Pro, other than the fact that it's a new design, so people would know that I had the new one, um, that is so significant that I've got to say, wow, that's just amazing. I need to get that one. <laughs> you know, by there the way, just isn't. By the way, that article that uh, about uh, Intel uh, and pointing out the differences, uh, I thought was a little bit humorous. I, I grinned a number of times while I was reading it, but I really almost laughed out loud when I got to. Before the conclusions, the last paragraph's title is Intel Missed Acoustics. <laughs> In other yeah. words, if you read just about any other review about the M1, the astonishing thing is it's quiet. There is, yeah. you don't know, 
and no sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the 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 M1 um uh Air doesn't have a fan and the M1 uh 13-inch Pro and the M1 uh Mac Mini the fan almost never comes on unless you're really, really right. pushing. In fact, I think I shared when it first came out, there was a reviewer, a couple of reviewers that uh, admitted in their review. It's like, I don't normally do this, but I called somebody else who I was pretty sure had a, a pre-release version of it because we're under embargo. We weren't allowed to talk about it. But I called and just said, OK, look, I can't make the fan come on. Do I have a broken one? You know, it's, <laughs> what do I do? And there was one guy who finally, he says, you know, here's what I had to do. And it was like open 15 uh, browser windows on a specific website that would then force it to like run um, yeah. uh, like animations in the background, which then required CPU power to do. And he says, you know, he says, I had to jump through specific hoops to get it, you know, stressed enough that it even had to turn the fan on. And when you did, you had to listen very carefully because it's not on very hard. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That was pretty funny when you get to the end of it. It was like, oh, yeah, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, battery life was another one that uh, I thought was kind of interesting. For example, I've got, uh, you know, a little uh, MacBook, the original MacBook that came out. And it has enough heat that if I'm sitting it on, with it on my lap, you know, it's not so hot that it'll burn, but just being against my my leg i can definitely feel the heat you know and i guess with the new ones i won't even feel that yeah now, see they don't, they don't have a fan on mine either but the the frame the frame of the computer is uh, enough is of your a heat sink, sink. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right yeah yeah it's so. this aluminum heat sink that then like you said on your lap can get a little toasty yeah so. i um the I have a 2015 13-inch MacBook Pro that's my primary laptop that I use. But prior to that, I had a 15-inch aluminum one. I remember that 15-inch got hot enough that it was uncomfortable on my lap. Oh yeah, it was. Oh you yeah, know, I couldn't. I had. I in fact um, have a uh, a desk uh, what they call a lap desk, which is like beanbag on one side and it's got a flat surface on the other. And I had right. set that on my on my lap and then put the computer on that. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise it was too hot. I needed that insulation. Yeah. It was just too uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, I know that. I got an old 2008 15-incher, and I don't use it anymore. It just sits here on the right. floor. Yeah, yeah. Mine was the same same body style as yours. I think mine was a, yours was an eight, and I think mine was a ten or something. But yeah, they, that same body style, same setup, and yeah, but that that model it was a fun computer, but it was really a portable desk computer. <laughs> you had to set it on right. something because it, it yeah, yeah on your lap. <laughs> laptop was a bad name for that you know it, right. it, yeah it was toasty it was toasty so yeah i think these uh arm uh intel or the the arm based macs are uh are pretty interesting i i are you willing to talk about like guessing as to what comes next like you know they haven't put the m1 into any of the other parts of their their mac line yet and um there's well, the, been some well, people I, who have said can you imagine how much better the next M1 is going to be in these other chips, other computers? And others have said it's probably not going to be really significantly different than the one that's in the in the ones we've already got. All they're going to do is is uh, create support for um, you know some more memory because right now 16 gigabytes is the max memory and some additional uh, ports because right now it supports only two USB ports. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it. I, well, they'll have more portables. It's obviously the portables are the ones who benefit the most. Uh, yeah. But but I'm looking ahead to say, uh, from a performance standpoint, 
what it'll look like when they put it in an iMac. Yeah. Because yeah, there, that's their, you, their standard. Yeah, there you don't have to worry about the uh, the uh, power drawn or the heat. You know, that's not not an issue. And, right. But, but what is, is, uh, you know, performance. And so they may even crank those up and, you know, the clock rate kind of tricks. Yeah. Uh, to to max out the performance and and they may really jump and so I'm interested in that. Yeah. See, my guess is is that the what's going to end up in in the iMac and the higher end laptops is going to be the same M1 chip, but what they're going to do is instead of 16 gigabytes, they're going to create a wider pathway and they'll have you know 34 or 64 gigabytes of memory, so you can have more memory because there are some instances where you need that depending on what you're doing with it and then like you said i think that in the um in the larger desktop or larger laptops they'll crank up the clock speed a little bit but when they get to the desktops it's going to crank up a lot Uh, and they'll definitely put more io ports into it because right now um i don't know if people realize it but that that little um mac mini that has the m1 in it has two more ports than either of the laptops do yeah it, yeah. It's got two C ports, just like they do, USB-C ports. But it also has two USB-A ports, which um, yeah. is, uh, you know, pretty standard for, I mean, as much as Apple would like us to think that, you know, USB-C has taken over the world, and I don't disagree that it's a much nicer port, it is not the uh, the standard still. At this point in time, there's still a lot of stuff that plugs into USB-A. And USB-A yeah. and USB-C don't differ in terms of the data speeds at all. It's it's because they use the same USB 3.1 or 3.2 speed across the devices. The only difference is the amount of power that they can carry uh, for like doing charging and stuff. So you can use that as a power port. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the old USB, I just uh, ordered uh, a a webcam uh, that plugs into USB. And, uh, Mm -hmm. but what got me, what the reason I did what got me started is I'm I'm helping a friend, and I may just give it to him. But I have a monitor now on, on a my my mini, with no mm-hmm. camera, and no no uh, audio input other than you know plugging in a microphone, uh, you know like my headset here. But right. Uh, but I thought that uh, I might use it a little bit more if I could have because it's a big screen, uh, especially right. on some of my Zoom calls, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, I thought, well, I'll just try it on my machine first. Although now he's got a PC and I've got a Mac, and so uh, there's a little different things here. But uh, yeah, but the USB but camera should work fine on either. It should be recognized yeah, by your operating it, system. It's advertised to work with them as well as with Zoom. It's meant specifically for right. this application, you know. But mm-hmm. it's a fairly inexpensive. It was a little under twenty dollars, but actually with taxes mm-hmm. more. But uh, I thought, eh, for that price, I just order one. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, if you don't if if you don't like the quality out of it, then fine. You don't like the quality out of it. You know, you know, not, it's not like there was that much out of pocket. Right. So, you're lucky you could actually find one and buy it. You know, since since the uh, uh, world has been working from home for a while, there was a real run on cameras. It was hard to find a good, uh, workable, usable camera. They were sold well, out everywhere, and prices went really really high on them so i guess they've got them yeah, back in and, stock now and i noticed that there are significant improvements to a number of them for example the mm-hmm. one that i had was uh just 1024 and they doubled the resolution so mm-hmm. uh you know uh in 
I guess it's in the uh, wide direction. It's 2,000 instead of 1,000. So it's 1,000 right. by 2,000. So, uh, and there was something else. Oh, the audio was improved somehow so that uh, well, I don't have the ad in front of me. Right. But it but it sounded good because with these little inexpensive condenser microphones, a lot of times you had problems with echoing in the room. And yeah. so there was some, some uh, software or something that took care of the problem. And, yeah, uh, and and in fact, it's even stereo, you know, uh, mm -hmm. out of the thing. So I thought, well, yeah. Gee, so that's if you cool. move to one side or the other, they'll hear your your voice move with your face, right? So. And and it's it's wider angle than than a, a one of the competitors, which was a ninety degree, and this is a hundred and ten. So right, you know, number of little features like that, and and they had, even in that right in their ad, they told you these were improvements from the earlier model. Uh, earlier in the year so mm -hmm. you know, this is a fairly recently improved one so anyway i think the strong market for those has kind of diminished now but there's still probably people buying them uh, yeah i think a lot of the people who wanted them have gotten them already you know right we're almost a year into this you know those of you who are working from home right if you didn't have a camera built into your laptop which is what most people are using just because that's what's there and it's already built in you already paid for it um, you know, but if you needed a camera for a desktop machine or something that you didn't have it, then yeah, you've probably already gotten it by now. By the way, so. uh, while I was thinking about this whole problem, I, I found a solution so that it doesn't cost anything for my friend to have it. It's a, it's a deal where he can use the iPad that I've loaned him as mm -hmm. the camera because it's got the camera as well as the, uh, yeah. audio. Uh, it's got a better quality camera in it than most of the Mac laptops. In fact, that's been yeah. a complaint about Mac laptops is they haven't upgraded the quality in the cameras in those in ages. But but anyway, those are still 720p. By loading some software in both the PC and the uh, iPad, uh, this mm -hmm. thing will work as a video cam. The only issue yeah. is it's big and you can't mount it like you would you know with a, something smaller because the iPad just sits there beside it. But, yeah, uh, you can. There, there are there are mounts that grab it and stick it onto tripods and stuff if you want. But uh, then you have to have a tripod as well because it's heavy. So you have to have something that can support it. Well, and this is a twelve inch or, uh, iPad Pro, yeah. so it's even bigger. You know. Uh huh. So, I, ideally, I, I I haven't talked to my friend, but I'm going to go over there. He can use his Android phone too if he wants to. The only downside yeah. of that while he's using it for a conference it may ring because somebody's calling his phone you know yeah so <laughs> there's negatives to phones uh yeah just, just for that reason yeah. i mean I, well there's also a way to take it offline so that he can't get any phone calls you know you can right. take it off the cellular network while you're on wi-fi and still use it as a camera and can't get any calls and just go straight to voicemail and you get them when you're done right right so so but anyway, I thought that was an interesting option, you know, basically a yeah. freebie. It just instead yeah, of and honestly, that's a, you know, generally speaking, those are generally pretty good quality cameras and, uh, you know, reasonable well, quality sound. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not broadcast quality, but well, you'd be the shocked reviews how good on, they are. On the software, in fact, there are several, multiple pieces of software you can get. I just sort yeah. of, uh, it, it's hard to discern because just about all of them were rated four, you know. If I so yeah. I just looked for a lot of ratings over at four instead of a few, you know, because yeah. a few you can't trust. So yeah, uh, it's like how many people have rated. That's the other thing. I've I started doing that too. You know, it's like when when you look at any rating, like on Amazon or somewhere, it's like 
yeah. well, how many people rated it this well? You know, because you've read yeah. about these companies that pay people to, you know, uh, rate their stuff and push their, their ratings artificially they high. They yeah, they don't pay 7,000 people to rate it, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, but they might have a few hundred and that could kick it up, you know. So you got to, so you look at it, you go like, well, and then the other thing you do is you look at the actual text of some of the reviews and say, okay, do these sound like, how similar do these sound? You know, are they are they right. creating this from a script? You know, are they is that did they, somebody give them like a little prompt sheet to say say these things? Well, uh, and, and another reason you never believe ones where there's only you know less than ten, let's say reviews, is because there's a lot of people who out there rank amateurs on this and they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're not using. Oh it yeah. Right. Well, that's why you you've know? got to read the reviews. Yeah. Like, I, I read a review about something the other day, and I can't remember. Somebody, you know, and I always look for both good and bad reviews because I try to read both, you know. Yeah. So I want to read some good and some bad uh, to to see, you know, really what's going on. And this one review was just ripping them. And then you start reading the review, and it's like they were upset because their package got torn open while it was being shipped. Had nothing yeah. to do with the actual product. It was about the shipping. And I'm like, okay, fine, but why are you, you know, dinging this company? I, I imagine the sellers of the product were like, but but we don't have any control over that. You know that was FedEx, man. That was Amazon. <laughs> Complain to them. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would think that they would have some way of like going to Amazon and saying, "Hey, look, they're complaining about something that's not even us. Can we take this down?" <laughs> yeah, you know. I've noticed too that Amazon now sorts to the top of their uh, reviews verified purchasers, and oh, yeah. and so that's why the. Um, you know, that was one of the scams that was going on where they would send a um, uh, like send a uh, something to to you. Right. And then somebody else would go on and say they're you and give it a review and they would be marked as a verified purchaser because it was sent to you. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, I'm not quite sure how that works in terms of and I'm sure they must have a pretty easy workaround for it. They must like when you go on. You know, they, I thought they had to get into your account in order to uh, say it's you, you know, to put a, a review up as you if it and to get verified like it yeah. had to actually ship. Right. They don't. But what maybe what they do is they make an account and they just have it shipped to your address. And they and, and, and I don't think Amazon says, oh, hey, somebody already has that house address because there could be multiple people living in a house. Right. And so if I go on and make an Amazon account that has your address and it shows up on your doorstop. I can go in and and then do a review. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I guess I could go in and make an account for anybody and say it's them. And why does Amazon care, right, as long as I'm paying for it? So I could go on, create an account for a Jack Brinker, make up, you know, get my own free Google email to put an email account on it and ship it to you and go on and make a review that's got your name on it that was a verified purchaser and you have something show up at your doorstep one day and go, what the heck is this? <laughs> you know, unless yeah, you think to go, unless you think to go scam it, and you, know, you got to figure it's they're only going to do that for cheap stuff, right? Things that cost a few bucks, like small cameras that are under twenty dollars. <laughs> 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 you know, but they're not going to do that if you're buying a uh, you know a um, you know six hundred dollar air filter or something like that. You know, or well, I I tell you, I house. do, I really do appreciate the fact that there are review features because you know it's it's like. Uh, consumer reports you know that's yeah that uh their yeah. their their reviews are more than just little uh yeah. inexperienced people they they hope 
typically hire professionals and often do a very good job. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't I very a- much like there's a website called The Wire Cutter that does the same kind of thing. And they were independent. They're now owned by the, uh, I think the New York Times bought them. But, uh, but they do the same kind of thing. They've got great reviews. And they always explain their process, which I like. Because yeah. then you can go, okay, that process seems valid to me. Or no, I don't like that process. So therefore, this review is not worth much to me. But you at least have the information. Yep. Yeah. You know something I used to like a lot, and it used to be in, um, there used to be a, a periodical, and I don't know if it still exists or not, called PC Magazine. Not No, not PC Magazine, PC World. And it was like a tab-sized newspaper that came weekly or monthly or something like that. And uh, And they did reviews, and with every review, they had a box in the corner. And right next to it, they would list all the different things that they scored this product on. And they would tell you how they weighted each each part of that. So, you know, this particular thing we said was worth 15% of the total. This one was worth 8%. This one was worth... But right next to it, they put a blank line so that you could go in there and write in your own and then do your own math at the bottom to find out if you came up with the same bottom score. Because when you're weighting something, they're saying this is more important to us. But for me as a user, I might say, well, but what's really important to me is that the laptop doesn't burn my lap. How cool does it run? You know, I don't care if it runs a little slower. I just got to have, it's got to be able to sit on my lap. Or, you know, the most important thing to me is how clear is the screen? Or how long does the battery last? You know, my priorities don't necessarily match their priorities. And I loved that. Yeah, so, well, uh, what you're talking about is aggregation. How do you do that? And they, that's the perp, the perp, only reason they, do this is they everybody wants to come down to one score instead of a whole list of scores but you really want to see the breakout of the scores if you really if you really want a good understanding well of that what it means that's the point you. i'm talking about is that this broke down how they how they rated each different category of of evaluation on any given piece of software or device or whatever which i loved they they explained exactly what their criteria was and then they gave you the means of saying, well, that criteria doesn't match what is important to me. I could mm-hmm. say my criteria is 100%. I won't buy anything that's, you know, silver. I got to have it in gold if, if that's important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it seems to me like that would be so easy to do on the web because then all you have to do is put in your, you know, rate your criteria and it can recalculate it automatically for you. You didn't even have to sit down and do any math. And I've never seen, I, I don't see review places doing that anymore. And to me, that was just, a phenomenally useful tool when reviewing something, you know? Well, there, there's, there's people that will actually leave, give you at least three or four different scores, you know, uh, right. on a single little blurb instead of trying to aggregate it to one. You know? Right. But I'm, I, I'm not hung up on the aggregation so much as I am. Give me a space that instead of me having to pick it out of the article where you have listed all of the criteria on which you judged this. Now, you could say I judged it on 15 different categories and and those are you don't have to then aggregate those into a single number. But there's 15 different categories and each of them are weighted differently based on what's important to you. And obviously, anybody who's doing a review is going to have a feeling about what's important to them. Their needs may not match my needs. And the and by taking that whole thing and breaking it out into just a little work box, almost like a little spreadsheet, off to the side, you know, and telling me here's the categories we judged. And by the way, there's always a, a blank line or two at the bottom that were like other, 
So, you know, if there's a category that you think is important that we didn't even use in our thing, then fine. You can put that in there, too. So you can sit down and calculate how how good is this to you, not how good is this to me, which I just thought was great. Yeah. You know? Yep. I just yeah. wish more people when they're doing reviews would do that. Say, you know, here's the here's the here's how we figured out what we liked and didn't like about this thing. And, you know, here's what we thought was important and not important. But you, that may not be what you think are important and not important. So, yeah, I should send that in to the fine folks at uh, at um, <laughs> um, the wire cutter because I like them. Um, but, you know. Consumer Reports used to do that when you got Consumer Reports in a magazine. Remember, they'd show you the little, um, the the little circles along the side, and you would get like a half circle, an outline circle, a solid circle, and they would be black or red. Yeah, I, I still get Consumer Reports. You still get a printed Consumer Reports. So yeah, yeah. so they sort of do that. They kind of give you here's the different criteria we judged, and they usually put that in a little matrix against other things in that category, so you can see mm-hmm. not only how what are the things that we judge this on, and how it stacked up, but also what the competition mm-hmm. does in that same area. The only thing they don't do is let you weight those things as to what's really important to you, because my knock on Consumer Reports was that they often weighted things too important that I didn't care about. Like, I'll never forget one time I was reading a review of computers. This is back in the earlier days of computers. And they were doing drop tests on desktop computers. And I'm going, great. I don't care. That's of zero importance to me. I have literally never dropped my computer off my desk. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't care. Why is that even in this? And, you know, and then you rate down, you, then you downrate a fairly good computer because it didn't handle your drop test. And I'm like, okay, but that's totally irrelevant. That's like saying... You know, it wasn't waterproof. Okay, so what? I'm not taking my desktop computer and putting it in the tub either. So, you know, yep. I don't swim with it. It's not important that it's waterproof or that it can make a three-foot drop, you know? Whereas for, like, a phone, maybe it would be, you know? And that was my biggest complaint about Consumer Reports is if they're doing that in areas where I have an intimate knowledge of how to judge what is good and bad, how how much are they doing that in areas of other things that I don't have that much detailed knowledge of? And therefore, how valid are their reviews, really? And, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, each person can decide for themselves whether they're, you know, high or low on that. But I, I, I sometimes question their particular setup in terms of the people's area of expertise and how, how strong it really is and what they're prioritizing as a criteria and not. And so that's what I always liked about the, um, uh, the, uh, PC, Again, it wasn't PC Magazine. It was PC... World is the one you mentioned. And that's yeah, the I think one it was P... That's the one that had the M1 chip Intel benchmarks on it. It was, it was in PC World. Yeah, I'm, I think it was PC World. I, I, uh, there was Information Week. Oh, you know what it was? Information Week. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Information Week was the... Was the uh, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's available as a... Um, uh, it was Computer World and Information Week were the two uh, magazines that I got pretty regularly when I was working as a professional IT person for years. And uh, and they, the, what I liked about them too is they also spent a lot of time talking about up-and-coming technologies, not quite to the level that, say, like Engineering World magazine did, but it was like, mm-hmm. remember Engineering World was the same thing. It was like a, a tab-sized newspaper, a half-page newspaper folded, so you open it like a book. Um, and that's what they used to print on. And I don't think they print at all anymore. 
But, uh, uh, yeah, Information Week. I haven't seen that in a long time. That I used to be a good, good thing. I yeah. guess they informationweek.com they still exist uh you just don't uh i i don't think they mail them anymore i think they've gone all online to save that cost and nobody's nobody wants a piece of dead tree showing up in their mailbox anymore right well i wish a lot of other people had that same attitude i still get this box full of junk you know (laughs) it's a it's amazing the crap you get that you know i i just stand there in the trash can when i First, get home and throw stuff in the, away. You know, there's very little, and it's it's a, true of every dang communications system we got. Uh, online is probably even worse. I mean, I don't have anything that's not contaminated online. Messages, emails. I mean, it's just, and yeah. you can't stop it. If you if you acknowledge it in any way, you're getting it. Then it, it usually doubles. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, you're right. Because then they say, "Oh, we've got a live one on the end." That you know, that this there's actually somebody who looked at our email. Let's yeah. sell that email fourteen more times. Yeah. Because so. now you're verified. Yeah, you responded. It's just, it's just, it's yeah. just, just really terrible. And I don't yeah. know what we're ever going to do about this. But I wish, you know, if Congress had or our government ever got their head out of their behind and started doing some real stuff that matters to people uh yeah we, we might solve some problems but you know there's some work on on uh on waste. privacy needs to be done the problem is is i don't think that there's enough people yet of the right and, and i say age but it's not really age it's just the right people of the right mindset and the might right understanding and background to pass the correct laws in that area and so yeah. what happens is they're relying on on you know too much too much they're relying on people in the industry to tell them what to do and of course the industry's happy to write the rules that regulate them because you know who wouldn't want to write the rules that regulate yourself well you know there's a there's a major problem in that what you really want is from representative government if if there was a way that you got some so many out of certain sectors let's say the medical sectors represented i want all of the sectors of our entire economy represented if you're going to do a decent job and and have some somebody who's really an expert in those areas up there trying to figure out you know what to do is the right thing uh the it's just way too many lawyers because it's it's considered a, a job of law making you know and so, uh, I mean, we do get some participation by other occupations, but uh, not not very broadly based, I don't think. And some of them, absolutely nothing. You know, with all the all the dominance that uh, the technology areas have now, I bet there are very few technically trained people in Congress. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, I, uh, there, there are almost none. In fact, I would like to see, you know, there's. we have too many lawyers. We seem to have lawyers and doctors. There are a lot of and, lawyers and doctors, and I would sure and like it, to see some people from other fields. And, and sometimes and get, ec- economists, or at least the financial world, you know. They're, yeah, they're, once in a while, yeah. They seem to be the ones that get appointed, right? The lawyer gets it, elected, and then he appoints economists to do things, or bankers. Yeah, right. you're right. Yeah. yeah, but those are the people making all the decisions. Welcome to the world, right? It would be yep. very nice if um, if we um, were able to get some more IT people in there, you know. Um, now, it doesn't mean that they necessarily align with the politics of 
you know, on everything because they're not going to. But I think that uh, we just, in general, regardless of which party they happen to be in, uh, need people who have an IT background so that they can then steer some of the technology in the in the FCC and uh, you know and, and and get some of that you know updated to reflect today's world because too many of the laws that we're using you know like yeah, like our our laws that define what is and isn't a um, a monopoly were written for robber barons and and you know oil and train guys in the yeah. 1800s. And, yeah, and and haven't been looked at since, right? And and those laws don't really fit the reality of today, you know, because you don't have to be the guy who owns every train line in the country to to dominate certain aspects of the internet. And so we need to maybe reevaluate what is a monopoly and how that works. So and maybe have degrees, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where you you know as when you hit a certain uh, trigger, then then you get treated a little differently along the line, and you can have several triggers based on different uh, areas. So yeah, you know, I mean, run for Congress, Dad. Yeah, well, <laughs> given today's see, environment, see, I that's can't the thing it. is the IT guys go, I'm not interested in doing that kind of crap at all. You know, that's right. That's, Set that's me right. in a room with a computer, and I'll have—I'll be entertained for weeks. Don't make me go out and talk to people and and argue to make laws. That's not what I do. Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it unfortunately is a, is a a system that I hate to say it, but it's close to failure. You know, it's getting worse all the time. It's yeah. Just, uh, I, yeah. I wish I could say that uh, the system really worked. It it did for many years. I think it was just fine, but. In the last three or four administrations, it's just gone bananas. Yeah, you know something I was railing about. It's not an not a IT or tech thing at all, but it's it's I I went off on it the other day on the radio show that I I do. Um, you know, this is now the third president in a row who's appointed a Secretary of Defense that they had to get a special waiver for because they had not met the requirements for the job in that they had not been out of the military for at least seven years. And yeah. the reason that that law is in place is that we don't want generals making decisions while they are generals that will have help further their political aspirations after they retire. And so they have to be retired for a certain period of time before they're even considered allowed to run for this. And now three times in a row, three presidents in a row have have skirted that rule by getting Congress to OK somebody who just retired yeah. or retired in order to be appointed even. And it's like, that's wrong. That's wrong. We're sending the wrong yeah. message to the to the leaders of our military. Yeah, you know, and that bothers me. You know, and I don't. I mean, they may be fine people. They may be great men, and in this case, they were all men. But they may be great, great people, and and the right person for the job. Just get the job seven years after you retire. Follow the law. Quit yeah. getting exceptions. Yeah, you know, because there are plenty of good generals that retired at least seven years ago. You could pick from one of them. You know, if you feel like it has to come as a general, because the defense secretary doesn't necessarily have to be a general. But the whole point is, is that's supposed to be a civilian political position. It's not supposed to be a military position. Yeah. Well, it's like impeachment supposed to be done for emergency or serious, really serious cases. And we're just it's this whole thing is just gone totally berserk. It's useless out of just 
Yeah. I don't know. Well, I would argue that it's been useless since forever because nobody who's ever been impeached has been convicted. Yeah. I mean, there's been three different presidents and four different impeachments, and one of them's not done yet. But, I mean, they're, they're not going to convict him. Well, uh, well. So it's like, okay, it ne- it never works. So why are, why are you doing it? You know? Right. That's that's right. It's just a political hack tool, you know, yeah. to try to win the next election. That's yeah. all it's all well, about. And, and and if you look at each of the different, I mean, I think that case could be made for each of the uh, uh, impeachments. I mean, Andrew Johnson was Abraham Lincoln's vice president, and he was a uh, from the Democratic Party, and they and they just you know they were primarily in the South and had lost, and the Republicans wanted to get rid of him because he was trying to lead the country into being kind and gentle to the people they had just defeated in the South, and he was like, no, we need to reconcile. They're part of us. That was the whole point that Lincoln was trying to make is that that they never left the union because they're not allowed to. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so they, they said, well, we'll just impeach you and get rid of you. And it failed by one vote, but it failed because it was yep. a political maneuver to get rid of somebody we didn't like, not because he did anything horrible or terrible. It was a well, political maneuver, you know? Um, I, I sent, and the same article. case could be made for, for Clinton and for, for Trump, you know, it's well, just, it's a, it's a, it's not a legal process. It's a political process, and I think we just need to understand correct. that. That that's correct. It is a political process, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't belong there. I wish we just. It, that's one thing. It wouldn't hurt me in the least if they just got rid of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Oops. Yep. There there's a go. phone ringing. Oh, oh, I need to answer it, too. So well, you know I'm what? Gonna... It's one twenty-five. so why don't we just wrap it up? You answer the phone, and we'll call it a day. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Sorry for the quick end there, guys. Oops. Ah! I got the start again. Hey, sorry for the quick end at the end of the show today. Uh, we were almost an hour and a half into it, and then my uh, dad got a phone call, and so we just kind of wrapped it up really quick. But we hope you'll join us again next week on Monday for Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>